Lord. You may be seated. Hallelujah. We have been teaching a series um, on how to be led by the Spirit of God for the last several weeks. And we are using a number of text scriptures, uh, starting with uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Paul, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the Bible is telling us the wholeness or the completeness, the complete makeup of man, spirit, soul, and body. Now, psychology says that, uh, that there's a subconscious mind. Well, if there is, God doesn't know anything about it. Because God says the wholeness or the entirety of man is spirit, soul, and body. Now, what's happened is that man has found that there's something that goes beyond or below or beneath, deeper than the, the, uh, the conscious thoughts. And I believe they've tapped into the spirit of man in part, but they don't know what it is and they don't know what to call it and they don't know what to do with it. Now, that's an interesting thought because there are things that we are not necessarily conscious of that are true and real. And those things that we are less than conscious of can become distinct to us. Those are spiritual things. Well, that's why it's so important for us to know about being a spirit being recreated in the image of God by making Jesus the Lord of our lives and how to develop ourselves spiritually so that those things that are below the conscious mind, deeper than the conscious mind, can be conscious to us through the truth of the word. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, everybody, every Christian that's honest and sincere wants to be led by the Holy Ghost, don't we? I mean, who wouldn't want that? That means to be led into victory. That means to be led into to, uh, to overcome in every area of life. Well, everybody wants that. The only question is, how's that going to happen? Because a lot of what the, the church world says is the Holy Ghost telling them or directing them or leading them doesn't turn out to work. Well, the Holy Ghost has never led anybody into failure. So we can obviously judge the, the, the fruit, judge by the fruit, the results of what somebody says is God. Not everything somebody claims to be God really is. Well, if we're going to know how the Holy Ghost leads us, we're going to have to let the Word define it for us and to tell us how it, how it works. Romans eight sixteen says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. He bears witness with our spirits. Now, if man is spirit, soul, and body, that means God doesn't bear witness with your body. That means God doesn't bear witness with your soul, which is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. God doesn't lead you by your emotions. God doesn't lead you by your thoughts. God bears witness with your spirit. Now, there are times when your spirit, after the Holy Ghost bears witness with it, can communicate with your mind and thoughts can, can come from God. But by and large, that's not the primary way that God works. Now, most people don't understand what it means to bear witness with your spirit. Let me give you an example that I think you'll be able to relate to. Oh, by the way, I should quote to, to you our other text scripture, Proverbs 20, verse 27. Um, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord or the light or the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. In other words, God uses your spirit to enlighten you. He uses your spirit to reveal things to you. He uses your spirit to give you direction, not your mind and not your body. But what does it mean to bear witness with your spirit? Well, when uh, Beth and I first got married, we'd, uh, we were living in Tulsa, and we'd go to dinner with friends and, and stuff like that. And, and folks, you may not know this, but I've grown a lot. I've grown a lot, particularly in the areas that I'm a lot more diplomatic now than I used to be. 
Some of you are thinking, I'm glad I didn't know you back then. But I've always just been direct. I mean, why beat around the bush about things? Truth is truth, and why not just come out with stuff? But I'm, I'm a lot more diplomatic in, uh, about things than I used to be. And, uh, and according to my wife, I used to come across really harsh. I don't think she's right, but nevertheless. <laughs> so we'd be at dinner with friends, and I'd say something. Something would come out of my mouth that she thought sounded harsh. And under the table, she'd nudge my knee. Now, not a word was spoken, but she's trying to communicate with me. She's bearing witness with my knee. <laughs> now, I broke her of that pretty quick because I just turned to her and said, what are you touching my knee for? <laughs> then she'd have to explain what she was trying to say, and then it would come out, and I'd say, well, what's wrong with what I said? So she got tired of doing that, so she quit nudging me under the table. But that's the whole point. The Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit. He impresses upon you something without words. It's a knowledge. I knew exactly what Beth was trying to communicate with me when she was nudging me under the table. I knew exactly what that was about. She didn't have to say a word. Now, if somebody else had nudged my knee under the table, I might not have known what that meant. (laughs) But because I knew who she was and knew her and knew about her and knew what she was about, I knew exactly what was going on with that. You can all relate to that, can't you? Well, in the same way, the more we come to know and and walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord, Him bearing witness with our spirit, we know what it means when He begins to impress impress something upon us from within. And it's always through the spirit. It's not through the mind. He didn't impress you with thoughts. He didn't impress upon your thought life. He impresses you from inside. Now, the, the impression on the inside can bring thoughts to your mind, but it never starts there because God doesn't live in your mind. Well, that's a revelation. God doesn't live in your mind. And if you want him to live in your mind, you're going to have to renew your mind to his word. That's why so many Christians are flaky when it comes to the truth of the word. God's living on the inside of them. He's living in their spirits all right. But he's never invaded or penetrated their thought process. That's the one thing about Jesus that's so outstanding. At 12 years old, he was uh, amazing and baffling, stupefying. The most uh, scholarly rabbis and and religious leaders of his day they were asking him questions that he was answering and they were amazed at his answers he was asking them questions they couldn't answer they were shocked and he's 12 years old he hasn't had the training that they have yet he knows the old testament the law and the prophets better than they did many of these men were very old and and had been in in this thing for a long long time had years and years decades of experience in this stuff how did jesus know more than they did because he had let the holy spirit which in was dwelling on the inside of him, control his thought life. He thought in line with the word. They thought in line with what the, the people said about the word, traditions. He thought what the word says. Folks, that's the key to being a strong and successful Christian. That's the key. Now, we've talked a lot about the importance of the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, the life he's talking about is not just physical life. What bread is to the physical life and the physical body, the word of God is to the spirit of man. So he's saying the key to eternal life, the secret to victory when it comes to eternal life is the word of God. Well, that's true where salvation is concerned, isn't it? The Bible says we're saved by the word of God. Now, we know God does a work, but it first starts with us believing what he said about Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. 
if we don't accept what the Word says about what Jesus did for us, then we'll never be saved. So we are saved by faith in His Word. We then confess His Word because we believe what it says. And a change happens on the inside. And that change is called the new birth. God recreates our spirit and then he indwells us. He puts his spirit on the inside of us within our spirits. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The reason for that is our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The reason for that is our bodies are the temples of our own spirits. And the Holy Ghost lives in us. So it comes through the word. Every part of receiving from God, every part of the eternal life that God has provided for us through the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, comes through the word of God. That's one of the things that's so important. And I, I, I've dealt with people on this for over 35 years. And, and so many people you can't get it across to them. The Bible says God sent his word and healed us. But so many people are praying for God to heal them apart from his word. Lord, just heal me. You know how much I, I hurt. You know how bad I'm suffering. You know how, what a good life I've lived. Well, none of that has anything to do with the Word. They're praying against what God says was the method and the means for healing. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so the church world has come up with the idea that the Word of God's not true. Healing's not for us today. Well, it may be that the church world is denying what the Word says and trying to go about God's results in a different way than God said they can. Thank you. It's absolutely the truth. But once you get somebody to accept the word, once you get somebody to turn their thinking to what the word says instead of what they normally think, man, you've got an open field there. That's when you can get results. Now, as we said, Jesus spoke of Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus also said in John six sixty three, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word of God is spirit and it's life. In other words, there's nothing on the planet, nothing in the universe that God has created to fit, to feed, and to develop your spirit except his word. And if we don't feed on the word of God, if we don't read it and put it, make it a part of our, our innermost being, if we don't make it a priority in our lives, we're never going to be successful in the eternal life that we receive by making Jesus our Lord and Savior. That's why so many Christians live a defeated life. They're saved. They're going to heaven. And that's why so much of the church world thinks eternal life starts when you get to heaven. You're not going to have any more eternal life there than you've got here. Yeah, but things will work better in heaven. Well, only because God's there and the devil's not. You won't have any opposition there. But if you're waiting to, for eternal life to begin when you get to heaven, you're not going to take any rewards with you to heaven. With take rewards with you to heaven, you're not going to receive anything when you get there. It's here that we're supposed to exercise authority. It's here that we're supposed to dominate the world with the life of God on the inside of us. Amen. Now, one of the first experiences I ever had with this, I told you a little bit about my story earlier in this series about how I got a hold of, and I don't remember how I did remember who gave them to me or how they came about came into my possession but i got a hold of some tapes a tape series by brother hagan it was mountain moving faith series still available today and i listened to that thing wore them out not literally but all but i listened to those things over and over and over again six tapes i can you can start one of those tapes and i can almost recite it from memory 
just because I listened to it so much, not because I tried to commit it to memory, just because I listened to it so often. And so I had learned some things about faith, but in, um, oh, when was it? It was the uh, spring of 1980. My dad had uh, been diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. He had been a smoker all of his life since he was, uh, what was it, 11 or 12 years old, something like that. He was always a big kid, and so everybody thought he was older, so he started smoking even before he turned a teenager. Smoked a couple of packs a day, and, and uh, the doctors had diagnosed him with lung cancer. And he was only 46 years old, something like that, 45, 46 years old, something. And so we took him to, um, to Tulsa. I said it was the spring. Actually, it wasn't. It was in February, late February of 1980. We went out to, uh, to Tulsa because he had heard, and I don't know how he got the information, but he had heard Brother Hagen had a healing school there on the campus in, in Tulsa. And so he talked to my brother and I to, into taking off work for a week, and, and uh, we borrowed a van from somebody in the church that we were going to and drove him out from Birmingham, Alabama to Tulsa, Oklahoma in the back, seat of, in the back of a van. We kind of set him up with a little recliner thing back there, took the seats out and, and uh, tried to make him comfortable. He was, he was pretty sick at the time, couldn't, couldn't get along on his own. And uh, so we took him out to Tulsa for healing school. Well, we got there, and I wasn't in charge of this operation, so nobody really knew what was going on too much. We got out there and found out that healing school was being handled differently that week because it was the week of winter Bible seminar. And so Brother Hagen wasn't teaching healing school. They were having services in the morning and in the evening. Healing school was still going on in the afternoons, but they'd have guest speakers there. Well, Brother Hagen... Um, as I said, wasn't teaching healing school as he normally did at that time. And so we'd take my, my brother and I would take my dad to healing school in the afternoon, and then we'd have to trade off. One of us would have to be with him all the time. We'd trade off on going to the other services. So I got a chance to go to two services a day, either healing school and the morning service or healing school and the evening service, to hear Brother Hagen. Uh, and he, Brother Hagen was doing both the morning and the evening services, just not the healing school. And so uh, I had a chance to hear a lot of the, the, uh, the teaching. And I also had a chance when I was by myself, uh, my brother was staying with my dad on his shift, so to speak. Then I had a chance to tour the campus and walk around there. And one of the things that I, now please understand, I knew nothing about being led by the Holy Ghost. It never occurred to me that Brother Hagin had any other tape series. How dumb can you be? It never occurred to me that there were books that you could get. It never occurred to me that there were other materials that I could get a hold of. I thought Brother Hagin had one series, and it was Mountain Moving Faith, and that was all he knew. I, what did I know? I don't know that I had any money to, to get anything if I'd known it was there anyway. But that was all I knew. I knew a little bit about faith. I was listening to those tape series, and at that time I hadn't yet worn them out. I'd only had them for a little bit of time, a couple of months maybe. And, uh, and I knew nothing about being led by the Holy Ghost. Never heard a sermon on it. I grew up in church, folks. I, my, my mom would take us, well, my dad went to church for a while there too, from what I understand. I don't remember it. But from what I was told, we went to a Presbyterian church for a while. Don't know anything about the Presbyterian church, only I heard that uh, some years later after we left, the pastor got saved on his own preaching one day. <laughs> you, did, you judge that for whatever you think that's worth. I, I really don't know what to make out of that. But um, uh, at any rate, we went from there. My mom and I went from there to the Baptist church. She kind of had a falling out with them because they said she wasn't saved unless she was baptized their way. And she knew she was saved. And so anyway, she didn't stay there long, but I did. Uh, there were a lot of friends that I knew from school that were going to the Baptist church. 
And, uh, and so I stayed there and grew up in the Baptist church. So I went to the Presbyterian church for a while, and I went to the Baptist church for a long time. And I never heard anybody say the word spirit except Holy Spirit. It's the only time I ever heard the word used. It's when it was spoken in terms of Holy Spirit. Nobody ever said anything about us being spirit beings. Nobody ever said a word about developing in spirit. Nobody ever said a word about spiritual things. I had no clue, none whatsoever. I wonder how many other people in the church world are clueless as I was. Anyway, I knew nothing. Went to Rama for that week in uh, September of, uh, I'm sorry, February of 1980. Knew nothing about being led by the Holy Ghost. But I'd walk around that campus. And, and to be real honest with you, even though the impact that Brother Hagin's tape series had on me and, and how it, it, it started drawing something out of me, I can't remember a thing that he preached during that week. There was not one service, there was not one sermon, there was not one message, not part of one message that had an impact on me that I can tell you about at this point in time. But something did have an impact on me. And that was I walked around the campus and there was a presence of God on that place that I had never experienced anywhere else I'd ever been. Now, folks, tell me something. How does the presence of God impress upon you? What difference, if there is the presence of God in a place, how are we going to recognize it? A lot of people don't. But if you attune yourself to spiritual things, or if you're open to spiritual things, then you can sense the presence of God. Now, what does that mean? You can sense it. Well, sometimes we use the word feel it, but we don't. We we don't feel it. We never really feel it with our physical bodies. What do we mean by that? We mean that we have a spiritual sense. We have an unseen something on the inside that witnesses something to us that we can't hardly even put into words sometimes. But we know something that our head's not telling us. We experience something. It's real. We know that it's real, but we can't tell you how we know it's real. But I walked around that campus and I saw people smiling. I saw a joy on people's faces that I hadn't seen anywhere else I'd ever been. I had a feeling, spiritual sense about that place that was unlike anywhere I'd ever been. I knew that that was a place I wanted to be. And God never said a word. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. There are things that we know that our heads don't tell us. There are things that we know that the information doesn't come anywhere except from the inside of us. And if somebody asks us, how do you know? We have to say, I don't know. I just know. We can't often, oftentimes we can't completely define it, but we know. Well, what do we know? Well, I knew I was supposed to be there. I saw something in those people. I saw something in that place. And I thought to myself, I have never seen a place like this before in my life. And I even asked the question, what's so special about this place? And I couldn't give you the answer. But I knew the people there had something I didn't have and I wanted it. Now, what is that? It's spiritual hunger. It's spiritual hunger. God made every person to have a hunger for him. That's why people pursue everything in life. They've got this drive. They've got this something on the inside of them that tells them they they want or need more than what they've got and they don't know what they need. So they pursue everything in the world. Some people pursue fame. Some people pursue fortune. Some people pursue drugs and alcohol and different stuff like that. They're looking for something they don't have. Folks, I understand why people drink. They're trying to escape. They're trying to attain something they don't have without the drinking. Same thing with drugs. Same thing with sex. I understand why it happens. I understand why people pursue it. I understand why men throw themselves into their jobs 
into their careers, into making money. I understand that. Because they're looking for something to satisfy them because without it, they're not satisfied. They're looking for anything that will fill that void on the inside. But folks, that's a God-shaped void on the inside of every person. Nothing else will fill it. Nothing else will fill it. Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. What's he saying? He's saying, blessed are the spiritually hungry. For they shall be filled. Now, if everybody is spiritually hungry, why doesn't everybody pursue the things of God? Because they don't know that's what they're hungry for. Even as the world calls it the subconscious mind, the spirit is deeper than the mind. It's deeper than the conscious realm. If man is not conscious of spiritual things, if man is not even open to the possibility of the existence of spiritual things, then he doesn't know to look there. That's why the church world has done a disservice to the world, the unsaved world, in my opinion, by presenting things in the way that they have. We talk, for example, and and it's different when we talk among ourselves than trying to present things to the world. We understand what we mean when we talk about unseen things. But if we talk about unseen things to the world, they don't want unseen things. They want seen things. They think I'm dissatisfied in the seen realm. I don't need something unseen. How's that going to help me? But it's the only answer there is to the satisfaction of man. You go back and look in the Old Testament to what uh, God spoke to to, uh, Abraham about. He didn't say one thing about the unseen realm. He didn't say one thing about heaven. There is no heaven in Judaism. Do you understand that? Judaism is not about heaven. That's why when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, they were lost. Had no clue what he was talking about. They kept saying, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Are you going to get these Romans off our backs? Are you going to make us in charge of our own destiny now instead of under Roman rule? Jesus said, no, no my kingdom is not of this world. What does that mean? They had no clue. Had no idea. Judaism makes very little, if any, allowance for heaven to even exist, much less planning on being there. The unseen realm is unknown to Judaism. That's why they focus so much on material things because that's what God offered Abraham. He said, follow me and I'll make you rich. Jews have hung on to that ever since. I wish the church would get a hold of that. Blessing of Abraham's ours. We've got the unseen realm, the kingdom of God from within, and the material blessings that he promised the Jews. Man, I was hungry, but I didn't know what I was hungry for. Only thing I knew were those tapes on faith. It wasn't even making me read my Bible every day because I'd, I'd get away from those tapes and go read my Bible, and I was thinking in line with the denominational stuff I'd been taught all my life. The only time I found anything that lifted my spirits was when I listened to those tapes. I'd listen to them again and again and again. Folks, you need to understand something. You don't get everything the first time you hear it. That's why the Bible talks about feeding on the Word of God. Feeding on the Word of God. Meditating on the Word of God. You'll see things in scriptures you've read a thousand times that you'll be amazed is really there. Feed on God's Word. It's so important to be aware of spiritual things. Now, in line with what we're talking about, what I was being drawn to is the Word of God because the thing that made the presence of God on that place was the Word of God that they taught. The difference that, was in, that I saw in the people that were there on campus and me was the Word of God that they had put in, made a part of their spirits. Here's the Holy Ghost drawing me to the Word, but it's just an inward impression. Now, I could very easily have ignored that. Most people do. Most people ignore their spiritual hunger because they're too busy with life. 
Another thing the Holy Ghost will lead you into is he'll lead you to pray. I have yet to have the Holy Ghost throw me down face first on the ground and make words come out of my mouth. Never happened. I've never known it to happen to anybody. But I can give you countless experiences where I've had something on the inside that made me want to go get by myself somewhere so I could pray. Now, does that happen just to me? No, it happens with everybody. It happens with every Christian. But what about Christians that aren't conscious of spiritual things? It passes them by. They totally miss it. Let me give you an example. Brother Hagin told a story about two people that, that were of great influence in his life. Uh, Brother and Sister Goodwin. They pastored a church. Never was really a big church. It was kind of in a country place in Texas. But um, Brother Hagin said that he would go drive 100 miles out of his way just to be able to spend a few hours in fellowship with them. They were godly men and women, a godly man and a godly woman. They were people that knew things of the Spirit. Brother, ha- uh, Brother Hagin said that of Dad Goodwin, he said that uh, he operated and flowed in the gifts of the Spirit more fluently than anybody he had ever known. And he was around Branham, he was around Jack Coe, he was around Oral Roberts, he was around a lot of people that God used. He said Dad Goodwin, J.R. Goodwin, was far and away the most fluent in spiritual things of anybody that he knew. Well, there was a, a certain Sunday, just a normal Sunday, but they had some kind of fellowship thing after the Sunday night service. They had a Sunday morning, Sunday night service. They had some kind of citywide fellowship thing after the Sunday night service. So it went late and they were late cleaning up and getting everything put away and all that kind of stuff. So they got in bed and it was already late, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, something like that maybe. And, uh, and just about the time when Brother Goodwin said he was falling off to sleep, he heard his wife groaning and praying real loud in the spirit. So he, he woke up, stirred himself and said, what is it, honey? And she said, I don't know. I've got to pray. And he said, well, okay, let me pray with you. And he said, then maybe we can get this thing prayed for and, and, uh, and be done with it. He's tired. He's ready to go to bed. Well, when you pray with somebody, especially somebody that you're close to, if they've got a burden on them, you can take on part of that burden for yourself. Now, that's hard to explain spiritually, but it's just like helping somebody carry something naturally. You can help people carry things spiritually. I know that's a foreign language to a lot of people, but that's the way it works. And uh, so anyway, he started praying. And when he prayed, it lifted off her a little bit. And so she got a little bit quieter. And, uh, and then he started drifting back off to sleep. So he wakes up and hears her, his wife praying real loud again. And he says, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I, I fell asleep on you. I, I apologize. So what is it? What are we praying about? She said, I, I don't know. She said, I, but I feel like somebody, and again, using the word feel, she means she has a spiritual sense, a sense within her own heart, a witness within her spirit. Somebody in their church's life is in danger. So he said, well, okay, let me pray with you, help you out. So he did. Same thing happened. Burden lifted off her a little bit, and he fell off to sleep. He wakes up the third time, hears her praying real loud, and, and says, uh, honey, have you still got this? She said, yeah, it's, it's stronger than ever now. And he said, well, he said, I'm going to have to get out of bed because I'm not going to be able to stay awake if I keep laying down here in bed. So he got out of bed and they prayed for a while and prayed for several hours. It winds up being about 4 o'clock in the morning. And so finally, he said, even while he was out of bed, he couldn't hardly keep his eyes open. So she had the same thing. Again, it seems like somebody in our church's life is in danger. So he said at 4 o'clock in the morning, he said, all right, well, let's just do this. Let's pray God will give them. God knows we're sleepy. Let's pray that God will give them, whoever it is, a vision or a dream to warn them. Well, that seemed to provide some relief to them. So they, they prayed a little bit longer and the burden seemed to be lifted. And so they went off to bed and 
you can well understand if it's after 4 o'clock in the morning when they got off to sleep, they're still asleep come Monday morning, late in the morning. And so um, uh, there's a knock on their door. And there's this member of their church that comes in and says, Brother and Sister Goodwin, I've got to tell you something. So they said, okay. They got dressed a little bit, you know, and, and uh, wiped the sleep out of their eyes and let the guy into their, their uh, living room. And the person that was there was the Sunday school superintendent of their church. And they pastored a little Assembly of God church right on the, um, uh, the main street, main intersection in their, their town, small town. And right across, catty corner across from their church was a Baptist church. And uh, denominational church. I wasn't supposed to tell you it's Baptist. But anyway, denominational church. So the guy says, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you what happened. And they said, well, why aren't you at work? He said, well, that's part of the story. Let me explain. He said, I got up this morning and he worked on the oil rigs. There was a lot of oil fields and stuff in that part of the country. He said, I worked in the oil fields. Uh, or they knew that he worked in the oil fields. He said, I got up and went to work in the field today. And uh, Joe didn't show up. Now, Joe was the guy that worked the top of the derrick. Uh, as the the puller, whatever that was supposed to be. And uh, uh, so he didn't show up for work that day. And so the foreman uh, turned around and said to the superintendent, the Assembly of God superintendent, he said, well, since Joe's not here, you work the top of the derrick. So he said, I started to climb up the derrick and got up about 10 or 15 rungs up. And he said, I just stopped and came back down. He said, I got back down to the bottom. The foreman said, what's wrong? He said, "I, I can't do it. He said, you can't do what? He said, I can't work the top of the derrick today. He said, why not? He said, well, a little after 4 o'clock in the morning. The reason I know is the dream, I had a dream and it woke me up. He said, a little after 4 o'clock this morning, I dreamed that Joe didn't show up for work today. And I, you asked me to work the top of the derrick. And so I went up there and I wasn't up there 15 minutes. The cable broke and snapped my head off, cut my head off. But I fell down dead. So I, he said, I'm not going to do it. Well, another guy that belonged to the Baptist church, catty corner across the street from the Assembly of God Church, laughed and said, oh, well, I'm not superstitious. I'll work it. So he climbs up to the top of the thing. Within 15 minutes, the cable broke, cut his head off. His head fell down and hit the Assembly of God superintendent in the back. He said, well, that's why I'm not at work. Everybody's off with everything. It's a big mess and all this other kind of stuff. He said, I just had to come tell you. Well, they looked at each other and told him their side of the story, and it became big news in town. Now, the question is this. The Baptist man who was killed on the, on the, uh, in the accident, he was saved. Why didn't he have a dream? Two things I want you to see. First of all, what if or why, let me ask you this way, why did brother and sister Goodwin recognize the need to pray the prayer that ultimately saved this man's life? What about the Baptist preacher? Wasn't he prompted to pray? Folks, you can't tell me that God did something for one guy and didn't do it for the other guy. But the reality is simply this, and I'm not throwing rocks at any of them because the same thing is true for us. So often we get too busy to recognize the leading or the witness of the Holy Ghost. I'm sure there's a lot of things that when we get to heaven, we're going to find out when people say, well, I don't know why God let that happen. The Holy Ghost is trying to warn them all the time. We've all had experiences when we were driving down the road and something told us to slow down. And there we did, and son of a gun, turn around the corner, and there's a policeman. Would have given us a speeding ticket just as sure as the world. We've all done that. 
I've had the Holy Ghost tell me to slow down and then have somebody pull me pull right out in front of me as I was slowing down. If I hadn't been slowing down, I would have got them for sure. Messed up my new car. God cares about new cars. But back to this Assembly of God superintendent. Why did, why did the Assembly of God pastor, why did Brother Goodwin and Sister Goodwin get something in their spirit about it and the Baptist pastor not? I believe God was giving the same thing to both. He didn't want to see anybody killed in that accident. The difference would have been, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but in my opinion, one was sensitive to spiritual things or conscious of things below the mental arena, the thoughts of the mind, and the other was not. Now, what about the man that was the, the superintendent? He could very easily have ignored that d- uh, dream. Now, some people will say, well, why didn't God give the Baptist guy a dream? John Wesley made a statement many, many years ago. He said, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life. He can only do what man asks him to do. Now, why, he, he went on to say why that is, we don't know. Well, why is that? Because God gave man authority here on the earth. God doesn't intrude in places he's not welcome or invited. That's why your prayer life is so important. That's why being led by the Holy Ghost to pray is so critical. As I said, we'll get to heaven and find out a lot of things that people have said. Well, I don't know why God was, would let that happen to me. God was trying to warn them all the time and they were not conscious or sensitive to spiritual things. Are you out there? Folks, the Holy Ghost is your guide. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into all reality. Now, since the word is the means of victory, this is the victory that overcomes the world, John said, writing to the church, even our faith. Since the word is the means to victory, the Holy Ghost wants to guide you into the truth of the word so that you can walk in victory. He don't want to guide you into the word of God just to make you study. Man, when I thought about going to school, here I am walking around campus saying, I need to come here. And then I thought, more school. Dear God, more school. That's the last thing in the world I wanted from the fleshly standpoint, from a natural standpoint. So I knew it wasn't my idea. I didn't want to go to school anymore. I had an opportunity to go to law school. I'd already been accepted into law school and was resisting it because I didn't want to go to school anymore. So here I am saying no to law school that offers me a career and saying yes to a Bible school that has no future in it whatsoever that I could see. Why? Because something was drawing me to Bible school. It was the Holy Ghost leading me and guiding me. I wasn't being led to to go to law school. It's important that we be conscious and sensitive to spiritual things. It's important to be conscious and sensitive to being led by the Holy Spirit into the Word. The Holy Ghost will show you what to meditate on. I've had the Holy Ghost speak to me. I've had it, when I say speak to me, I don't mean words. I mean communicate with me. I've had the Holy Ghost communicate with me that I needed to shore up on healing. Well, I teach healing pretty regularly. But I've had him tell me, shore up on healing, healing scriptures. So I have. And it's helped me. It's strengthened me to overcome something that, was, that I'd be attacked with a week later or something like that. I've had the Holy Ghost tell me to, to what to meditate on where prosperity is concerned, where finances are concerned. It's been important. It's helped us and it's helped the church. The Holy Ghost will lead you into the things that you need down the road. He'll show you things to come. Now, a lot of times when people read scriptures like that, that he'll show you things to come, they think that he's just going to scroll, run everything off and scroll everything out in front of you like you see it on a TV screen. That's not often the way it comes. 
Sometimes it's just an inward witness, an inward impression to go a certain direction. And that direction changes the course of your life. I wish sometimes the Holy Ghost would speak louder. But I've come to find out in my own experience that what that means is sometimes I'm letting the things of the world get louder than him. And that's my doing, not his. Because if I stay sensitive, if I stay open to the things of God, he's always pretty clear. I had an experience. um, Oh, it was uh, one of the first few missions trips that I took after we started the church. I really had an impression in my heart to go to Peru. And uh, we worked with Jim Andrews, close friends with Jim and Faye down there and have been for a number of years. And they've just, God sent them into a place that's just, their ministries had a change and just in, literally changed the country. And so I had an impression in my heart to, uh, to go down there and to accept an invitation that Jim had offered to me. And, and man, we had some tremendous meetings, just phenomenal meetings. God ministered and God did some healing miracles and different things like that. And it's good for me sometimes to go minister overseas to see how different it is in, in different settings because sometimes you get to questioning yourself. You get to looking at results and questioning yourself. Well, am I, am I doing a good enough job on this? Or maybe I could do a better job in that or something like that. You go overseas and find out the same thing you're preaching here gets miracles there. And so that was kind of one of those uh, types of meetings that we had. And so we came back to the States. First day I was back in the States in my office in, uh, um, after I'd come back. And the phone was ringing. We didn't have a secretary at the time. So the phone started ringing. And, uh, and I'd been praying and, and just kind of in the presence of God, very much in the presence of God. And so I was disappointed when the phone was ringing. Didn't have caller ID or anything like that back then. And so I just said out loud, I said, oh, Lord, who is that? And instantly I knew. I knew who it was. It kind of shocked me when I knew. I picked up the phone to see if I was right. And it was them. And for the rest of that day, it was the strangest thing. For the rest of that day, every time the phone would ring, I'd know who it was. Now, I can do that with caller ID, but back then, like I said, you didn't have that. <laughs> now, the next day, I looked forward to going to the office, and it wouldn't work the next day. I was already back in the groove of the office, back involved in mental things and taking care of the, the necessary things of life. But, boy, there for a while, when it was just me and God and no, no outside pressure and no other things to do, man, I was really surprised at how it was working. Well, that may be an extreme example, but I found that same principle to be true in, in Uh, all the time the more sensitive i can stay to the things of god the more i can hear from him the louder his voice is and the weaker the voice of the world is so when we complain about god not getting himself uh, making himself known or getting his point across it's us it's not him we've got the volume turned up too loud on other things that's why it's so important to feed on the word and pray because you have to take care of the things of life but you got to stay sensitive If you want to walk in victory, you're going to need to stay sensitive at the same time. Let me tell you another story. When uh, the church was, uh, the church bought some land in uh, 1994. And um, uh, we contracted for a certain company to to start building on this property. This is the land I'm talking about. And um, uh, we had made ourselves aware of the, uh, the requirements for churches to avoid property taxes. Uh, it's not just a given or an automatic thing that a church-owned property doesn't, uh, the church doesn't have to pay property taxes on uh, property that it owns. It's got to be under construction or, or has some kind of church-related uh, operations going on on it. 
And so we found out what the rules were and knew that we had to start construction by a certain time in order to, to uh, get in under their deadline so that we could avoid property taxes for the year. And because otherwise, as soon as we take possession of the property and sign the papers, then we're, we're liable for those taxes. And it was quite a bit of money, at least to us at that time. Still a significant amount of money, but not, it's not the same amount of money that it would have been to us 20 years ago. That's what, what I'm trying to say. And uh, so anyway, we, uh, we set it up with the contractor that he had to start by a certain day. It was on a Friday. And so he got out here, put his grading equipment on the property and started work so that we got in under the deadline and we were in good shape. Well, within a week, things had gone south with the contractor. He didn't provide some of the bonds and, and um, papers and guarantees that he was supposed to. And so we had to make him stop construction, stop on the grading work that had begun because uh, then the church would have been liable for opening ourselves up to a lot of liability if something had gone wrong and there had been accidents and so forth. So um, a week later, uh, when the county assessor, or two weeks later, whenever it was, when the county assessor came by the second time to inspect the property, there was no work taking place, and so he indicated that on his, on his report. But it took us several months to get things squared away and started again and, and really get a new contractor on site and stuff like that. And so the, um, we got a bill from the assessor's office, the county assessor's office, for property taxes in the tune of $40,000, something like that. And so we, uh, we appealed it. We went, uh, went back to them and said, well, look, we had already started on the project and we got in un- under the deadline. We did have to stop. And so the second time your, your inspector came out, we weren't working, but we're working now with another contractor trying to get things started again. They said, well, that doesn't matter to us. When our inspector went out, you weren't, weren't working. And so that's all, that it, that's all that matters. And so you owe the money. Well, we fought it and 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 fought it some more and went on this thing drug on for a couple of years with us uh, making appeals on the thing. And finally, after the second or the third appeal, whatever it was, I get a letter from them stating that the first time the inspector came out, it was the final letter I got from them. They said, this is it, final, final word on the subject. The, uh, the first time the inspector came out, he saw that you were working. But the second time he came out, two weeks later, you weren't working. And so you owe the property taxes plus penalties plus interest, which turned out at that point in time to be about $120,000. Well, I remember when I was sitting at my desk and that letter came to me. I opened it up, read the letter. There was already a lot of trouble and lawsuits beginning and stuff like that with the other contractors. It seemed like just one more thing. And I wasn't in the mood for just one more thing, if you know what I mean. So I got that thing. The only thing I remember feeling is huge disappointment. Because, folks, when, things, when it seems like everything's working against you, it's like, God, where are you? That's the way you feel. Now, the reality is he hadn't gone anywhere. And the reality is whatever's taking you by surprise hadn't surprised him a bit. He knew what was going to happen before you ever found out. And the Bible instructions is saying to us when we start is when we're in the middle of something that's difficult, and that is be strong in the Lord. But I was kind of down in the dumps about it, and so I just, you know, was really disappointed. Oh, Lord, what now? Losing this $120,000, what are we going to do? We didn't have the 120000 at the time. We'd had to take it out of some other funds and so forth to pay it, but now it's due and liable within 30 days. So I took that piece of paper, And I just dropped it in the trash can. Now, as soon as I dropped it in the trash can, I knew that I ought to keep it. 
Now, folks, I believe that was my conscience because your conscience tells you what you ought to do. Not a word was spoken, but I had an inward knowing. There was something. As soon, I, didn't, I had no feeling about it whatsoever except disappointment. I had no feeling about the piece of paper until I dropped it in the trash can. And as soon as it floated into the trash can, I knew. It's like the scripture said, my conscience smote me. I knew, don't throw that away. You've done, literally, I knew I've done the wrong thing in throwing it away. So I picked it up, took it out, put it on my desk, didn't want to look at it. My idea is this, just ignore this thing, act like it doesn't exist. Maybe things will feel better tomorrow. But I knew I was supposed to keep that piece of paper. Well, we went back and tried to appeal it again. We did everything that we could, had to pay it, paid it within 30 days, $120,000 of church money that did not need to go to the county for property taxes that, that, that we felt like legally we didn't owe. And, uh, but anyway, we had to pay the thing, went through the, the, every system, every, pulled every string that we knew, talked to supervisors, board of supervisor members, Everybody that we knew, nobody could do anything for us. It was in the hands of the assessors and the, the county attorney. And uh, so finally it came to the point where we just had to pay the money under protest and then sue the county. Well, what a delight that is. Because now we're suing the county. They've got all their high-powered lawyers and everybody else. And ultimately they make the decision until we appeal to a judge. And that was the reason we had to sue them is because it's the only way to get it out of their hands and in somebody else's hand to, to oversee it. So we sued them, and this thing went on for months before we ever had a hearing. And it went on for months more because they wanted to delay the hearing. And then it went on for months more. So now it's gone for, this was about six, maybe six years later than when the property tax year is in question. All the time they've been holding our money. And uh, so we, through, uh, through some people in the church, some attorneys in the church, found us some people that they had contact with that handled these types of things. So we put it in their hands and talked to them about it. And they said, well, he said, the best thing you've got going for you is that the statute says that the requirement is you have to start by a certain date. And you did. There's nothing in the statute that's written that says you have to continue past that date. That's a technicality, certainly. But we thought there might be something to hang our hat on. And that being that along with the fact that we're a church, you know, maybe somebody will take pity on us and help us out on this thing. And I said, well, I've got a letter. It, it occurred to me. I said, I've got a letter where they said so. They said that their inspector saw that we were working by the date that was specified or required. He said, boy, we need that letter. Well, I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked. I scoured every piece of paper that I had ever owned. And I could not find that letter. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. This thing's dragging on. The city attorneys or county attorneys recognized what our uh, argument was. And they said, well, we don't have any record of that letter ever been written. When we told that we couldn't find it, then they said, well, we think you're just remembering that wrong because we don't have any record of that. We've got a record of the letter uh, where we required you to pay the property taxes later on and it had no mention of the first thing. And so whether they have record of it or not, they're playing dumb. Now, you form your own opinion about what they're doing or why they're doing it. I, it doesn't really matter. But this thing went on and on and on. Finally, we get to the, the, the last segment of this thing before it goes to the judge and the judge makes his decision. And so the attorney's been saying, I've been looking for months for this thing. The attorney finally says, look, if you don't find that letter, it's a toss-up. Find the letter, we feel like we've got some basis on our side, especially since they say they never wrote the letter. So... Um, so it's up to you. Pastor Mike, you've got to find this letter. 
So I tore everything. Everything that I'd gone through, I went through again. I mean, I looked every place you could possibly be, put a piece of paper and couldn't find it. Finally sat down, totally dejected, because I remember throwing that letter away. It made such an impression on me when I dropped it into the, the trash basket that I, that, I, that I shouldn't throw it away, that I took it out, but then I couldn't remember. But then after that, did I throw it back away? Did I throw it away again? I just couldn't remember. I was beating myself about this, up about this thing like crazy. I'm sitting at my desk and I said, Lord, I have no hope but you. And then I laughed and said, like I've had any hope otherwise for all this time. But I've got no hope for, but you. You don't need the letter for this thing to go in our favor. And we don't even have to win for you to be God. But if I've got that letter, show me where it is. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, instantly, I had a thought, open your bottom desk drawer. So I reached down, opened the bottom desk drawer, went through the same stack of papers I'd been through ten times. And it was sitting two pages down. I found that thing, called the attorney, called our attorney, told him the good news. He said, fax it to me. I faxed it to him, put it in a piece of plastic <laughs> so nothing had happened to it, you know. Drove it down personally to his office that afternoon. Judge ruled in our favor. Now they owe us interest on the money that we paid penalties and so forth. It wound up being about $150,000 back to the church. Now, the, uh, uh, our attorney told us later, uh, I don't know if anybody's here that was part of the church at that time, but we took a bunch of people down to the hearing where the judge was going to make his ruling. We packed out the courthouse. It was all our people, and the judge knew it too. So anyway, he made the ruling in our favor, and we were all glad, and we were all excited about it. But the attorney told us later that the judge, he had a conversation with the judge about our case in uh, uh, the course of him trying another case before him. And uh, he told him, the judge told him, he said, that letter did it for me. He said, I was thinking that the church was just trying to claim something that hadn't happened, especially since the county attorneys were denying that they'd ever written the letter. He said, they should have a copy of it in their files if it was there. He said, when I saw that letter, I realized what was going on. They knew that they were in the wrong and they weren't going to do anything about it. So that's a, that was the, the tipping point for this, uh, this ruling in your favor. Now, here's the reason why I bring that story up. Two things. First of all, I want to distinguish between the inward witness and the conscience. Because what I had about opening the bottom desk drawer was different than what I had about I've done the wrong thing and throwing it away. Now, your conscience is the voice of your spirit. It's your spirit communicating with your mind. It communicates to you what you ought or ought not to do. You know as well as I do, just as soon as you've taken a step outside of love, you've said the wrong thing to somebody or about somebody, you knew instantly on the inside of you that you did the wrong thing. Well, what is that that tells you you've done the wrong thing? The Bible says it's the conscience. It determines your conscience determines or informs you or communicates with you about what you ought to do or what you ought not to do. But that's different than bearing witness with your spirit. There's a slight difference, but it's still difference. They're both communications, and maybe we're splitting hairs on it, and I don't mean to, to get technical about things. But there has to be a difference between the bearing witness and the communication with the mind. Because if, it weren't, if there weren't some difference, then every bearing witness, everything that the Holy Ghost ever bore witness with your heart would come, to, uh, come up to, by, as thoughts to your mind. And they don't. So what I had about opening the desk drawer was the inward witness. What I had about throwing away the piece of paper, the letter, 
was the conscience. And both are supernatural. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. That put us over, folks. That $150,000 coming back to the church put us over with our building project. Because at that time, we were already in the middle of things with the other contractor. It made all the difference in the world. And there for a little while, the county was, uh, and boy, wasn't it, it was such a nice thing to get that $150,000 check from the county. For a little while, the county was the biggest giver we'd ever had. <laughs> Interesting thing. The, uh, the county attorney had said privately to our attorney, he said, this church will never get this money back. He's had to be the one to sign off on, on the check coming back to us. <laughs> there have been so many things. Folks, I've I got to tell you something, and I, I don't know the extent of what this means entirely either. The things that we've had to do and the things that we've had to go through to, to plant our stakes into the ground here have been supernatural. Baptist churches don't have the trouble we've had. Presbyterian churches don't have the trouble we've had. It's been supernatural. It's taken the hand of God time after time after time for us to drive our stakes into the ground where they couldn't be pulled up. I don't think we know the, the entirety, the extent of why God really sent us here yet. Thank God for the good things that have happened. We thank God for everybody that's come through our church. But we haven't seen anything yet. And all those things have been preparation. All those battles that we fought and won. All those things that looked like defeat and God turned them around into victory. All those things that prepare you to add experience to your faith. Now when somebody tells you you can't do something that I know God's already told us to do. It's a whole lot easier now than it used to be. Now I just smile. Because every time that's happened. The first time it happened was when we took plans into the city. We were in the city of Irvine. We took plans in the city of Irvine, and the guy sat there across the desk from me or across the counter from me, and he said, you will never get these plans approved. Well, it wasn't but a couple of months later. He was the one who had to stamp them. <laughs> and he stamped them right in front of me. And as soon as that stamp mark was on that, that plans, I said, you remember you told me a couple of months ago? <laughs> he just turned around and walked off. That's happened time after time after time after time after time. Folks, it doesn't matter how Goliath growls at you. doesn't matter how you see yourself, how small you see yourself. If God's on your side, you can win. And his means for victory is the word of God within us. The word of God within us. The power of the Holy Ghost will bring the word to our remembrance so that we can stand on the word because the word will never fail. That's why it's so important to build our lives on the word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is true. Lord, what a privilege it is to serve you. I thank you for speaking to my heart almost 30 years ago about coming to this place and planning a church. And boy, what an adventure it's been. Hadn't always been easy. Looked in a lot of cases like we'd lost once and for all, but you've always seen us through. Thank you, Father, for the leading and the guiding of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the inward witness that leads us to the truth, that leads us to pray. Thank you, Father, that you're on our side. You're helping us day by day by day. Even when it looks to us like you're a million miles away, you've never moved a peg. You're always right there. Thank you, Father, for victory. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 
Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Forgive us, Lord, for not being sensitive to the things of the Spirit. Forgive us for putting natural things first. For turning up the volume on the natural things and the physical life that we live more so than the spirits of God within us. Lord, we claim the promise of your word. You said, Lord Jesus, that your sheep hear and know your voice. And a stranger, they will not follow. We claim that for ourselves, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Ghost. Our comforter, our guide our counselor, our strengthener. Thank you that your word is true and that standing on your word we can never fail. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Well, let's all stand together. Learn to develop that consciousness, that inward consciousness of the Spirit of God within you. He'll always lead you into victory. Say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost Ghost. leads and guides me me. into victory, victory. into health, health. into abundance, abundance. into blessing. blessing. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great day. Come on back and be with us tonight if you can. You're dismissed.